how did we get here? This is a question that probably frequently crossed the minds of the Israelites who were currently living in their captivity in Babylon. Because in the past, they were a formidable nation, wealthy, prosperous, and were under the protection of the one true God, the God who years prior had delivered and protected them from the greatest world power at that time, the Assyrians. But now at that current time, they had been completely devastated with their city lying in ruin. They had been conquered by the Babylonians who had overpowered and overtaken them and carried off with them a small remnant of the Israelite nation. And the worst part of whenever this remnant would ask themselves the question, how did we get here? They would be reminded that it was entirely their own fault. Because years prior to them being overtaken by the Babylonians, while King Hezekiah tried to form an alliance with them, something that Isaiah the prophet warned him against, because he was trying to find preservation and protection apart from the one true God, the one true God who had proven that they could trust in Him and in Him alone for preservation and protection by delivering them from the greatest world power, the Assyrians. So Isaiah prophesied, telling King Hezekiah, that while this alliance may have seemed to be beneficial in that present time, that in the future, the Babylonians were going to turn against the Israelites and destroy them. Which is exactly what had happened. So even though they were formerly a great and prosperous nation, well, now they were nothing. Exiled captives living in a foreign land without a home of their own knowing that they were the people of the one true God, God's chosen people, but wondering if God even wanted anything to do with them anymore because of the current situation that they were in. These Israelites were feeling broken, burdened with guilt, and worthless. But Isaiah, in the verses before us this morning, had a message for these Israelite captives. A message that he was able to write to this future audience because God gave him the words to write down. And in this message, that while it would have been confusing at the time these words were written, it was a message that proclaimed joy to these Israelite captives because Isaiah told them restoration is coming. Isaiah wrote, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the afflicted. Now, as Isaiah begins his message here, while he's the one who wrote these words, well, he's not actually the one who is speaking them. You see, Isaiah earlier in his book spoke about a servant of the Lord that the Spirit of the Lord would rest on, who would be from the stump of Jesse. And Isaiah also identified that the Lord would put his Spirit upon this servant who would bring justice to the nations. And so now hearing in the verses before us this morning that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, what leaves no doubt to us as to who is truly speaking his words. This is God's anointed one, Jesus. And Jesus had this to say to these Israelite captives. God sent me to bind up the broken 
in heart. To proclaim freedom for the captives and release for those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God. To comfort all who mourn. To provide for those who mourn in Zion. To give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. A cloak of praise instead of a faint spirit. So that they will be called oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord to display His beauty. I mean, Jesus tells these exiled Israelites who are feeling broken, burdened with guilt, and worthless that restoration is coming. On one level, this was anticipating their deliverance from their captivity in Babylon. That the shackles of their captivity were going to be broken, granting them freedom. Freedom to return to their homeland and rebuild their city that had formerly been destroyed. This prophecy was anticipating physical restoration that would change them from exiled captives back into citizens of the city of God. But on another level, this prophecy anticipated an even greater deliverance. This prophecy anticipated deliverance from their captivity to sin and death. Isaiah was proclaiming deliverance from sin, death, Satan, and hell. I mean, you see, the sins the Israelites had fallen into had not only separated them from God in a physical way with them being carried off into this foreign land, their sins had also separated them from God spiritually. Because that's what sin does. And the shackles of their sins would have dragged them down to suffer eternally in hell. But God's anointed one, Jesus, proclaims a message of true spiritual restoration. That he was going to deliver them from the bondage of their sinful depravity. He was going to deliver them from their sins. Because he was going to bring them the forgiveness of all of their sins. He was going to remove from them the burden of their guilty conscience. And he was going to release them from the bondage of their sinful depravity. God's anointed one proclaimed a true spiritual restoration that was going to change these Israelites from sinners into forgiven children of God. Now, can you imagine the impact these words would have had on these exiled Israelites? Hearing a message of release, freedom, comfort, joy, and forgiveness, that in spite of what they had done, God was going to restore them physically, but more importantly, spiritually. While these words would have been amazing for them to hear, for some of the Israelites, these words maybe sounded too good to be true. Because these promises of restoration were speaking about things that were to come in the future. But as they looked at their present circumstances, still living in captivity under the powerful Babylonian kingdom, these promises maybe just seemed like wishful thinking, but as things that were maybe never actually going to take place. Can you understand and empathize with the Israelites if they did feel this way? Because the words of spiritual restoration that Jesus speaks of here are words that are also spoken to you. Words that promise you life, deliverance, and salvation. And we even have the benefit of being able to look back on the past 
and seen how Christ went to the cross, died, and rose from the grave three days later, the very events that secured these blessings for each and every one of us. But as you look at your current situation, does it seem like you are who God says you are here? I mean, as you look at your life, do you still see your body decaying, brought on by the effects of sin? Do you find in your life that you still live as a slave to your sinful nature, falling into all kinds of temptation? And for those times that you do fall into sin, do you find that your conscience continues to get burdened, weighed down with guilt and shame? If these things are all still present in your life, then can you really trust, know, and believe that you are who God says you are? You can. The spiritual restoration that Jesus speaks of here is truly yours here and now. And the reason we continue to see and experience the effects of sin in our lives and all around us is because we continue to live with a sinful nature in a sin-filled world. And so the restoration that is truly ours here and now, the fullness of it, still remains hidden to us. And so, like the Israelites, we're called to walk by faith and not by sight. Meaning that when we're struggling with those deceiving lies of Satan and of our sinful nature that want us to doubt that we are who God says we are, to silence those thoughts and to instead listen to the words of our Savior. The one who proclaims that you have forgiveness. The one who proclaims that you have life. And the one who not only proclaims these words, but the one who actually went on to acquire these blessings for you by walking the path to the cross, the place where he would shackle the sins of the world to himself and suffer the punishment that they deserved, and who on the cross declared, it is finished. Words that declare your sins have been fully and freely forgiven. Words that declare that you are a redeemed child of God whether you feel like it or not. Because who you are rests solely on who Christ himself has made you and on who Christ himself declares you to be. Isaiah's message here was an amazing message that proclaimed the blessings of physical and spiritual restoration to the Israelites and spiritual restoration to us as well. Words that assure us that we are who God says we are, redeemed children of God, meaning that we can rejoice. And Isaiah continues, he transitions into now writing from the perspective of one who is receiving the benefits and blessings of the Messiah's work to highlight this truth. Isaiah continues, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will celebrate because of my God, for he has clothed me in garments of salvation. With a robe of righteousness, he covered me. Like a bridegroom who wears a beautiful headdress like a priest, and like a bride who adorns herself with her jewelry. For as the earth produces its growth, and as a garden causes what has been sown to sprout up, so God the Lord will cause righteousness and praise 
to sprout up in the presence of all nations. As Isaiah writes, writing from the perspective of one who is receiving the benefits and blessings of the Messiah. Did you notice the focus and source of his joy? No mention of freedom from captivity. No mention of the city being rebuilt. The focus and source of his joy was recognizing who he formerly was and who the promised Messiah had now made him. The descriptions focusing on how he had now been clothed with garments of salvation. And notice how Isaiah also points out that this work the promised Messiah would accomplish is for all nations. It was because Christ didn't just come into this world to win forgiveness for God's chosen people, the Israelites. No, he came to win forgiveness for the sins of the entire world. And through the proclamation of the gospel message that God continues to carry out that work of bringing spiritual restoration to all nations. Where he continues to establish his kingdom by planting faith in hearts and clothing sinners of all nations with the righteousness of his son. This is what God has done for you. That through the proclamation of the gospel message, God has established his kingdom in your heart. Plant and creating faith that you could be assured of your forgiveness and of a glorious future in heaven. Through all of this, your Savior has assured you and granted you perfect joy. It's important for us to understand that this doesn't mean that our lives lived on this earth are going to be lived uh, with constant happiness and cheerfulness. Because happiness and cheerfulness are emotions. And emotions are based on the present circumstances that one is currently facing in their life. Where joy, on the other hand, isn't based on one's present circumstances in this life. Joy is based on one's identity. Your joy is founded and based on who Christ himself made you. And this is something that will never change. So no matter what situations you may currently be facing in this life, no matter what situations you may face in the future, whether good and bad, that through all of them, you truly have perfect joy. And so with Isaiah, you can rejoice and give praise to your God. Because you are no longer who you formerly were when you were lost in your sins. You are one who has been clothed with garments of salvation. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.